Welcome to Women Express. I'm Denise Harrington, your host, and I'm so excited about what's happening today and who I'm interviewing and the relationship that I've built with this incredible woman who's going to share some ideas about where we are when we leave. But before we go there, I want you to know that Women Express is relaunching today. We are relaunching with the idea that when women come to this podcast, that we are fielding information that will allow you to power up and become more of who you are, to stand clear in your voice, and to leverage your power to help affect change in our world. This is critical for right now. And this is why I'm bringing you these voices, starting today with our wonderful, wonderful Julia, and having her be a part of this new launch. The other thing about the new launch and the purpose of it we have now as our executive producer, Nia Harrington. Many of you know Nia. She's my daughter. She's been with my business now for five years. And she literally is beginning to jettison this company and this brand, speaking with Impact Brand and the Women Express brand forward. And I can't be more elated about the idea of her being the executive producer of the Women Express podcast. So we're going to welcome all of that and ask you to keep an eye open. There's a book coming, as I've been promising you, and there are going to be more Women Express summits and events in the very near future. But enough of us, enough of me. Let's turn to Julia. Hi, Julia. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Denise. I'm such a big fan. You and me together. I want to talk a lot about your book, but I know time is of the essence. Julia stepped away from her real job or her full-time job. I didn't say her love. I just said it's a real job. I'm sure she has tons of passion around it to spend a few minutes with us sharing her new book. As you can see in the background, I have in my hand, When Women Lead. And we're going to talk about that. But before we do, I'm just going to say a, a bit about Julia. She's in CNBC's Senior Media and Tech Correspondent. She's based in LA. She conducts CEO interviews with CNBC programming. She's done a lot. She's increased the viewership, I would say, by bringing in things like Tech Check, delivering reporting and analysis and interviews and streaming social and convergence of media and technology. She joined CNBC in May 2006 as a general assignment. But in 2013, she created and launched the CNBC Disruptor 50. I love that. I love that idea. But I love this part of your career more than anything. She has done for the network a program called Stay Tuned, The Future of TV. And she also helped launch CNBC's Closing the Gap, which is why we're here today. That this is such an important feature of Closing the Gap's and helping NCNBC cover the studies on this topic, which led you to doing a lot of research that went into this book. And when women do lead, and there are three key things I'd like for you to cover. You have some incredible stories. I don't want to take away from those stories, but I'd love for you to tell us some of the women that you observed and what they were doing. And the three key topics are what they achieve when women lead. What do we achieve? Which is a great question. Why do we succeed? So when they succeed, what what is it that we do and how can we learn from them? So let's start with the first thing. When women lead, 
What do we achieve, Julia? Great things, Denise. Great things. I mean, I think that really comes down to the the reason why I wanted to write my book. You know, I've been a business reporter for two decades, interviewed thousands and thousands of people literally in that time. And what I was seeing is that when women did find opportunities to lead um, as CEOs, as founders, COOs, they were accomplishing great things, but there weren't very many women in those roles. And what struck me was this disconnect between the number of women who were in these these leadership roles and all the data that showed that when women do lead, great things happen. And there are so many different studies, whether you're looking at representation of women on boards, we were just talking about boards. When you have more women on boards, companies are more successful. Female CFOs lead to better financial outcomes. Public companies with female CEOs tend to outperform. Private companies, startups led by women tend to not only go public or sell a year earlier on average, but their financial performance tends to be better. Yet despite all of this research showing that across the board, women in different leadership levels translates to better performance, despite all that, there aren't very many women getting venture capital funding. In fact, the percentage of women drawing venture capital funding has declined to about 2%. Down can you believe a, that? Can you believe that? Down from an average of 3% in the prior decade. So despite wow. all of that data indicating women tend to be successful, we've seen a decline in venture capital funding in this ridiculously abysmal 2% number. And then if you look at public companies, about 10% of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are run by women. That is up from 8.5% last year and up from about 4% not too long ago, but it is still a very small number. So I think it's really important to acknowledge all of this research and data showing that those numbers are really small still. And yet all the research indicates that when women have those opportunities, they tend to outperform. And they shine, they outperform and shine. They make a difference to the brand. They can make a difference to an organization, to a country. I just think about all the things where women lead in countries. What is the difference? I start, I have to share a little short story with you about my own experience. I I do a lot of work with CEOs and I'm in the C-suite a lot. But I was lucky in the early part of my career to have one of my male mentors at that time take me into the office space of the CEO that ran his large tech company. And it was wonderful because when Ken said, you know, I really want you to meet, I was like, wow, you know, me, meet her. And it was incredible. But she was one of 4% in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And when I went in to sit down with Carol, Carol Bartz, I asked her, what is it that got you to become CEO? Because she, I think she was one of Yeah, like she is four she five. really defied the odds. She really yes, defied she did. the odds. So what did she, she say? She really did. She said to me, you have to understand that the rules are not made for you. So you're going to break them. So don't try hard to not break the rules. You're going to break them just by virtue of who you are as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually think that very thing played out in what I found in so many women I was interviewing, but please, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no. I want you to tell your stories because the stories in here are what got me. I love the statistics and the statistics are important, but give us a few of your examples of what happened to you because Carol changed the way that I looked at doing business that very day. Well, I I actually think what she's saying is this idea of don't being afraid to break the rules. One reason why we've seen so many women reinvent industries, such as the retail industry. There's so many women who've led these groundbreaking 
companies that just revolutionize the way consumers interact with retail. Companies like Rent the Runway or The Real Real or Stitch Fix, which give women access to things like luxury brands or a, a personal stylist or this new circular economy. And I think what's so interesting is they just threw out the rules of the way the industry used to operate. And I was talking to this amazing found, uh, amazing CEO. She was not a founder. She's the CEO of a company called Lands Attack. It's a biotech company that converts pollution into fuel. They have a microbe, like a little microbe that digests. She's an amazing story, isn't she? Digests the, the pollution and literally poops out fuel. That's how she described it to me. <laughs> and I said to her, and she's, I said to her, how did you succeed despite the odds with this crazy sounding idea? And she's an amazing example because she's a Colombian immigrant. She came here when she was nine years old. She's she's an introvert. She does not like to speak. She'd prefer to listen. And I said to her, and, and she had this crazy idea of trying to create alternative energy sources that would be really positive for the environment. There's nothing more positive than eliminating pollution to create fuel. And I said to her, how did you survive in this crazy male-dominated world where everyone mm-hmm. told you you were wrong all the time? And that your idea wasn't worth pursuing because she told me this horror stories. And she said, you know what? I already didn't fit their expectations of what a CEO was going to look like. I wasn't a white man. I hadn't gone to MIT. I already didn't meet their expectations. So I felt kind of liberated to do things my own way, not only to create a company that was addressing fuel and the energy and the environment differently, but also to manage the company differently. And so Mm -hmm. I think there was something about that where she could say, I'm going to be liberated by my differences. Let me use the fact that I I don't get close to fitting into a box as something to celebrate because I'm just going to be outside of the box and everything. And so her company not only is totally outside the box, converting pollution into fuel, but the way she managed that company and led that company, a key part of her job is pitching her technology to factories so she could capture their pollution and turn it into fuel, and then pitching her fuel to the likes of Virgin Airlines, which uses her fuel. And I said to her, you are a self-professed introvert. How are you pitching to all of these companies in rooms that are almost entirely male? She said, again, I don't fit the mold. I'm not pounding the table and telling people I have the best technology in the world. What I do Mm -hmm. is I listen because I prefer to listen than speak. I'm an introvert. So she talked to me about how she used her introversion to make her an incredibly good listener. And then when the time came, after she'd heard people say what they wanted her to hear, and then when they kept on talking and revealed to her what they really wanted in their negotiation, she could then say, I've been listening. So I actually know what you really want, not what you said at the beginning, but what you actually want. And I could be a much more effective negotiator with you. And that's, that's the key to the puzzle is being able to get your voice heard, but also to listen and be able to feed back what you heard. It's really important to do it in a way that's authentic. I mean, what you were saying at the beginning about authenticity, she was never going to be a loud, gregarious salesperson pounding the table. It's just not who she is. But she figured Mm -hmm. out how to do the thing that was very hard for her, which is, you know, presenting in these meetings, but to negotiate in a way that was incredibly authentic because she was being true to herself. She wasn't just forcing herself to talk. She was listening and using that to be more successful. And, you know, that way, it's very true. The numbers don't lie at that point. I mean, you gave us some statistics in the very beginning of how things have changed and where we are as women. Not far enough ahead, but we are making progress. In some places, we're going backwards. But I would like for you, because the beginning of the book, I got stuck. Because when I started to look at the numbers of how we get funded versus how a man gets funded if they come to the table was 
astounding to me. I can't say that I don't have never pushed up against that. I'm in negotiations with the company right now, and I really believe they're lowballing us because we're women. Yeah. You want to speak to us about that? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because that 2% or 3% number I cited before, that's the percentage of overall dollars of VC dollars that go to women. I was kind of obsessed with that number when I when I came across it. And every quarter when these numbers come out, I am kind of obsessed with them. And what's so interesting to me is that the tech world is incredibly powerful, right? Think about the way we live our lives, the way we communicate, we Uber around, we rent Airbnbs, we listen to, to music, whatever it is, the tech industry controls our lives. And there's there was $330 billion of venture capital dollars that were deployed in 2021. And if less than 3% went to women, then that has a big impact. The reason why there's this massive gender gap around money is because the people who control the money are mostly mm-hmm. men and they're mostly white men. And mm-hmm. men are half as likely to write a check to women as a female investor would be. And then there's something else in this equation as well. The checks that men get are on average larger than the checks that women get. So women are getting 6% of the number of checks, but only 2% of the dollars. So if you count just the number of checks, it looks better. But if you're looking at the actual dollar amount, the amount is much smaller. It's minuscule. It's minuscule. So the reasons for that are a couple, one of which is there's this natural instinct for which is not malicious. And I want to make sure to remove malice from it because it's harder to make progress when you think people are malicious, um, for the investors who are mostly men to either invest in young people who remind them of themselves or who fit into a pattern of what they see success looking like. Mm, So if every successful founder they've ever come across has been a young white man, they're going to have the pattern that that's what a successful founder looks like. One reason I wrote my book was to help change that. And to help elevate the stories of people who are incredibly diverse, who come from all sorts of different places. You know, I I talk to my kids about how people come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And what I mean by that is like the full breadth and depth of diversity. And that's what leadership looks like. That's what success looks like. And I wanted to show leaders like Jennifer Holmgren, who's a very petite Colombian immigrant who speaks so quietly, you have to ask her to repeat what she said. It does not look like what a CEO looks like. Or Irma Olguin Jr., whose parents were farm workers in Central California, and she just got a scholarship to go to the University of Toledo, and it changed her life. She was the first person in her family to go to college. And she came back to the city of Fresno where her parents were farm workers and she totally changed the life of so many people by creating this company that helps give tech skills to people who've been working in in manufacturing and retail. And she creates these tech ecosystems, but she is a lesbian Latina who does not look, and she will talk about this, made it very hard for her to raise money, but she doesn't look or sound like what a typical stereotypical archetype of a founder looks like, which is a white man. And so Mm -hmm. I think the fact that these women don't fit into the patterns is liberating for them to approach problem solving differently, but it makes it much harder for them to raise funding. The other thing that was really surprising and interesting to me was the fact that it's not just that the investors have these patterns that someone like Jennifer Holmgren or Irma Olguin don't fit into, but that they also um, are asking these founders different questions when they walk into the room. Mm. So that Mm -hmm. stereotype influences the questions the investors ask. So for instance, that really hit me smack in the face when I saw the questions. That was just like, what? Yes. And you don't think about it, but. 
And you don't even know. If you just walk into a room and there are a bunch of investors, it would never occur to you that they'd be asking you different questions than the guy who just left right before you. So one thing I was surprised to see is that investors are more likely to ask women about the worst case scenario. What's the downside risk? What happens if the economy tanks? What happens if you are you have a new competitor? They're asked about that sort of worst case scenario, whereas mm-hmm. men are more likely to be asked about the best case scenario. How big can this company get? Tell us your, your best case scenario outcome. And so that is a discrepancy that people didn't know about until some of this research came out. So yes. I remember asking some of the CEOs I was interviewing, had you heard about the study? What did you think? And a number of the women I talked to said, yeah, when I read that study, I was like, wow, that explains what's been going on in the rooms I've been in. But I truly believe that knowledge is power. And for these women, when they read that study, they said to me, yeah, that it explains the two dozen times I was rejected and asked questions about downside risk when I was pitching to investors. But after I saw that study, I was prepared. I would go into the room. They would ask me a question inevitably about downside risk after my presentation, I would answer their question as quickly and succinctly as possible. And instead of going on and on on that topic, I would quickly pivot and say, but let me tell you about my upside potential. And I would go in there ready to answer the question that they weren't going to ask me, but that I knew they were asking my male counterparts. And there was something- That's great. We are all going to be up against different challenges, but knowing about those challenges and understanding not only where they come from, but what to expect is incredibly empowering and can really change the outcome of situations. Yes, it really can. And I was very, I mean, when I heard about the questions, even some of the questions are, you know, what happens with your kids and stuff like that. Like for us women who are leaders and are performing our kids are important, but that's not what I'm here to talk about, you know. And it's my irrelevant kids are very important. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I don't care about my kids. I do. But in this conversation, we're trying to negotiate a deal here that could mean the difference yeah. in the future of your business or yeah. my business. Yeah. So it's very interesting to see that even the conversation, you know, for me being a communications coach, the conversation, being well-informed about what's being asked on both sides of the fence is a great way to put yourself together to go in to do the pitch, to make sure that you assert what you want them to know that they probably are not going to ask because of your gender. It's so amazing to me. But yeah, you're right. It's all about playing offense. Everyone needs to know what they need communicated in that meeting. And even if, if the investor is not asking the question, you need to be prepared to give the answer that you want them to hear. Now, you have some high profile stories in here too. I want to ask you, I mean, I'm, I'm so excited about the book, number one, but I'm just like, where do I start? What do I say? You know, I, I showed you how it's all bent up and written up. And this is, you have some high profile stories that you want to tell. And I'd just like for you to choose one and share it, if you don't mind, because it talks about, you know, women who lead like Gwyneth Paltrow, which I think her program is incredible. Julia Collins, I mean, Reese Witherspoon. So give us some juicy celebrity type. Yeah. Well, I don't I mean, you just named three amazing ones, but you know, I'm going to start with Julia Collins just because she was very high profile CEO as the first black woman to raise over a million dollars when she was the CEO of a company called Zoom, which was a robotic pizza company. (laughs) And it got crazy financing from a company called SoftBank. 
and the valuation of the, of the company shot through the roof. But it went from being a company that was more about logistics and minimizing waste in the food space to this robot pizza company that was a Jetsons-like idea of a pizza van that would bake the pizza on the way to delivering it. So it'd be fresh when it arrived. But Julia Collins playing into this trend of women caring more about purpose than just simply generating profits she had her first child and she said, I don't want to use the force of my being and all of my energy and power towards just a company that's doing robot pizza. Like, I want to make sure that I'm having the impact on the environment that I cared about initially, that I originally was focused on. So she founded a company called Planet Forward. You may be familiar with a consumer-facing product, which is these amazing crackers and snacks that are based on regenerative agriculture. But what we interact with consumers, they have this snacks called Moonshot Snacks. But what they're doing on the back end is they've, they've created this technology to help farmers use regenerative agriculture and then help consumer packaged goods companies like a cracker company or a chips company source their ingredients from farmers who are actually helping the soil instead of stripping the soil of its nutrients. But what was so interesting about her is that she was a very high profile CEO. She could have kept on that route with amazing financing from SoftBank, which is the same fund that backed Uber and, and WeWork and some of these other companies. But instead she said, I'm gonna create a company that I know is gonna have a positive impact and not just a positive impact for the here and now, but I'm focused on making a massive impact on the environment for the next hundred years. And these are yeah. things that women tend to do. They tend to be focused more focused on purpose. They care more about the environment and they want to create companies that have a long-term plan to have impact. And so she, mm -hmm. her story for me really summed up all of these things. And the other thing I really love about Julia Collins story, that she is truly driven by gratitude. And she was telling uh -huh. me about why she, I was like, tell me about taking this risk to start this company. Like, why were you so determined to do this? And she said, I felt this amazing gratitude for my experience. I'd had all these amazing experiences, building tech companies, working in the food space, understanding all this environmental, all these environmental issues. And I felt grateful to have the opportunity, to have the opportunity to actually impact change and help my child and his generation. And nice. what's so interesting is I was so struck by my conversation with her about gratitude that I started to think about all the other interviews I'd done with women where the women talked about gratitude. And in my 20-year career as a business journalist, I never associated gratitude with anything having to do with business. It just didn't seem like it was relevant to business. It's about a personal life. It's about your friends or your family. And I was totally wrong. I went back through my transcripts. I found dozens and dozens and dozens of examples where the CEOs attributed to their their success and their ideas and their focus to gratitude in one way or another. Yeah. They felt grateful. Yeah. They had had horrible experiences working at one company, which launched them to create another type of company. And I was like, you feel grateful for, you know, Whitney Wolf heard the CEO of Bumble. She was <laughs> grateful she had had a traumatic experience because it inspired her to create Bumble. And there's all this research showing that women are more likely to practice gratitude. They enjoy the feeling of gratitude more than men do. And gratitude is found to correlate with patience. If you feel grateful for where you are, yeah. you're more likely to be patient and not go for the near-term win, but go for the long-term plan, which can really impact, have a bigger impact. And so I think she was really important. And then for the celebrities, Reese Witherspoon and Gwyneth Paltrow, it was really important for me to tell stories that you hadn't heard before. Because a lot of a lot of ink has been spilled on Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. And, she's and just, I love Julia's story. I just, yeah, not Julia yeah, yeah. Forston, but Julia, Julia that Collins. you just shared with us. Julia Collins, because her story says a lot about wherever's going to go next with you. Yeah. And that is, what do you find when you talk about what we can learn from them? 
why they succeed, what do you find to be our characteristics? Yeah. Now, I noticed in the book, gratitude came up a lot. And right now, I love that you equated the gratitude. I loved I wrote it down because I love it so much. We tend with gratitude, we tend to go for the near win versus the long-term solve or the long-term reward. And gratitude gives you the patience to get to that long-term because it's so easy to compromise, you know, to sell off or to sell short, even your value, which is a tendency that can happen if you're a woman who's bouncing up against the wall all the time, which is why I love your book because your book does give an awareness And it gives you a roadmap truly to go in and to use your characteristics to win as opposed to lose. So what are some of those, what we call superpowers or characteristics that you feel are necessary for women to win? One is gratitude, but I'll also mention Gwyneth Paltrow because you name check Gwyneth Paltrow and she's all about vulnerability. Gwyneth Paltrow, Mm. who seems so intimidating for so many reasons, she's gorgeous. She won an Oscar. She seems to be, everything seems to come easily to her. But the way she became accessible, both as a for Goop, her company, is by admitting the things she didn't know. And also the things that were really hard for her. A big turning point in her company's, company's history was when she came out and talked about struggling with postpartum depression. And that vulnerability yeah. made her accessible. And then as a leader, as a CEO, she decided to admit what she didn't know. She didn't go to business school. She didn't finish college. She said, I'm going to admit when I don't know what these acronyms mean. And I'm going to ask the questions that everyone in the room was too embarrassed to ask. And what she found is that that vulnerability, admitting what she didn't know, ended up sort of opening the floodgates. So everyone could say, why are we doing it this way anyways? And it really enabled a kind of re-examination of things that people kind of taken for granted and hadn't really been considering. So I think vulnerability is key in that way. Another really important one is empathy. And Mm. empathy, I think, as a strategic tool, not just compassion, because, you know, empathy can lead to compassion. But so many men have said to me on my book tour, isn't empathy just the same thing as compassion? I'm saying, no, we have to understand our terms. Empathy is really about the the advantages you get by putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Empathy can drive you to create a product like Irma Olguin Jr. is like, I empathize with all these people who I grew up with who don't have more options. I'm going to give them more options in terms of tech jobs in the region. I'm going to educate them through these paid internships, and then they're going to transform their careers. And so she empathized with people who didn't have opportunities. And she also saw what they were capable of. So I think empathy can be a really valuable tool to identify an opportunity. And also women see opportunities that men don't because they have proximity to the problem. I talk about this amazing husband-wife investor uh, pair, Frida Kapoor-Klein and her husband, Mitch Kapoor. And they believe in investing in people based on their proximity to a problem. So if you Mm. understand something, whether it's women's health, if you're someone who's trying to navigate the fertility industry and you're like, I can solve this because I've been through this. If you have proximity to a problem, they think that you have a better chance of solving it. And they also believe in, in investing in people, not based on what college they went to or what business school, but their distance traveled, how far they've come. And for women, there's a, and people of color, there's a lot more distance to be traveled. And I think for, for a lot of, for a lot of investors, they see that as a disadvantage. And what the KPORs have found is it's actually a massive advantage. And we need to change the criteria by which we evaluate companies and opportunities to see like what people are capable of. And Frida Kapor Klein was saying she hates the people who think that they can solving it by putting it on a credit card. 
If you're a founder who thinks that that's how you're going to solve a problem, you're not going to be equipped to succeed. And then just a couple other key traits, you know, so we just talked about empathy, vulnerability, gratitude, but then in terms of diversity, diversity, women are far more likely to have companies that are diverse, both in terms of gender and in terms of race. And Mm. women are more likely to invest in mentorship and sponsorship, both in terms of official systems and also more unofficial systems. But those things are really interconnected because if you're a woman running a team and you're like, I'm going to have more diversity, both in terms of gender and in terms of race, and you don't have that mentorship piece, it's much harder. But these are things that women are more likely to do. And by the way, that's why every company in America should have more women in their their leadership ranks because it has such a ripple effect down the pipeline in terms of all types of diversity. Yeah. I mean, everything, all the work that I've done in women's leadership, diversity has been a big part of the superpower. Vulnerability, which we normally think it's not a thing that women stand up and say that I own that, but those are key to our, our leadership development. Very different than men. And I think men, and you've said this in your book, can actually benefit by these superpowers, by taking on some of these superpowers themselves, or at least enhancing them in themselves. Don't you? A hundred percent. I mean, one reason I wrote my book is to show how women, by using these skills and strategies, which are so are so much things that women tend to do, if men start doing those things, they could be successful too. And I really yeah. want men to feel liberated from the same archetypes and stereotypes that have kept women out, have also forced men to try to adhere to the, the stereotype and to try to fit themselves into that box. And I think yeah. that all leaders will be more successful if they can try to break free of that archetype, break free of that stereotype and think, who am I? What am I really good at? What is the way that I could be the most effective leader? Not how can I make myself fit into that that stereotype of a guy in a suit on Wall Street? That's not who most it's people so are. True. And I think it's that especially so now the pandemic has really shed light on the importance of leading with empathy, of understanding that we're all coming from different places. And frankly, you know, women are more likely to lead in a communal way, pulling perspectives from across an organization. In this day and age, there's so much uncertainty, so much volatility. Nobody's going to be able to lead by making decisions alone in a corner office. Everyone needs to think about how can I best leverage the skills of my team? Yes, I love it. Leverage the skills of my team. And the more diversity you have within your team, the more perspective, the more you can leverage. And it's just to alienate anyone on your team is just incredibly dumb. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and I think, it just doesn't make sense. And, and another part of my mission with this book And the reason why I wanted to intersperse the stories with the research is because I think that the DEI conversation, the conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the past decade has too much become a conversation about perks that companies give their employees. And like, isn't it nice of those companies to think about DEI when hiring and retention? And I think that that's actually done a great disservice to the power of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Very good point. And I think that the reality is, is that diversity, equity, and inclusion is absolutely necessary from a financial standpoint. Companies will be more successful if they embrace diversity. Every study points to that. And I have dozens of studies on this topic in my book. And by the way, this is why I included 40 pages of endnotes in my book. So you can find all the studies. I saw, <laughs> I saw um, that. I was going through the studies like, woohoo. There's a yeah. lot of endnotes. Um, I don't expect you, everyone, to, anyone to read the endnotes. But if you want to find the studies, I wanted to include them in there. And so what, what's so important is that 
We need to change the conversation around diversity and say, this is a financial opportunity. It's not a thing that companies should do in order to be nice. It's a thing they should do to unlock the true value and the true power in their teams. Potential power, opportunity, all of that. I love the idea, and I know you have to get back on the air. And Obviously, you're a great reporter. You've done a lot of great work in research around this book. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because you're sitting in front of me. It's that all these <laughs> years so of doing women's leadership. But I've done so much leadership training for women. And I just know that having something that gives you the weight of being able, to, which is why I love the notes, to back up everything that you say with statistics. Because it's the statistics along with the experiences in the stories that are really going to move the dial forward. So I applaud you for doing the balance between the two, because just giving the experiences one thing, having the statistics with the experiences of women is a whole different mindset, which brings me to my last point. And that is about shifting the mindset and how we create community amongst ourselves so that we can maintain that mindset shift. How do you feel about that? What do you think? I think it's really important for women to understand their own power and for women to help each other. And Denise, you and I met through women who are trying to connect other women. I've Mm -hmm. always known it feels good to surround myself with other women, but there's actually research backing this up. And I was so blown away. I remember I literally had to stand up when I saw this study that found that connecting groups, what they call micro environments of women. So women engineers in a predominantly male world, you know, engineering is predominantly male. These social scientists brought together women engineers and they basically found that connecting these these micro environments of women, and the same is true of anyone who's in an underrepresented group, having other people like you around you can mitigate the negative impact of bias. In effect, like inoculate you or vaccinate you against the negative impact (laughs) of bias. And I thought that was so powerful for so many reasons. One is that bias can really have a negative impact. It can hurt. And that can impact the way you try something or approach something or even think what your potential is. But if you have other people like you, female engineers surrounded by each other, Basically, these social scientists tested the impact of bias. They gave these female engineers a test after telling them that engineering is only a men's thing. They're not going to do well (laughs) because women are bad at engineering. The test scores declined because bias hurts. It has a negative impact. But when they put them in groups of other women, other people like them, told them that stereotype and then gave them the test, the negative impact of the stereotype had no impact. It disappeared. Mm -hmm. Putting them in other groups of people like them made them know that they weren't alone, that they could be strong, and that they absolutely had a seat at the table and every right to be there. And that's why it's so important for women to figure out how and when they need to show up for each other. Because I think the culture has really changed in the past 20 years since I entered the working world. And now women understand we will be more successful if we help each other. If we help each other, it's, it's amazing because I did my first women's leadership class for McDonald's way back, way back. And the reason why I ended up doing that and designing a women's leadership class, I was actually brought in by a female VP. And she said to me, I want you to do this presentation skills class, but it's going to be all women. Because what we find is that our ability to communicate really gets kind of cut short. When we're sitting in the boardroom and it's our time to talk, we tend to pull up and not really say what we need to say. 
And from that class, it was amazing because usually at the time, it's always me and one other trainer doing the work. And the other trainer is the coach and usually takes you from the training room. And then you look at your skill sets on video, which by the way, were cassettes at that time, VHS. So that goes to tell you how long ago it was. But Alexandra kept going into the coaching room and coming out 15, 20 minutes later. And usually you can't spend more than 10 minutes. 10 is like even on the long side. I stopped her at lunch and said, what is going on? Because usually you're bringing people in faster than that. You're getting them back in the room faster than that. She said, there's so many tears, so much coming out, so much being shared about how alienated and isolated they feel, especially when it comes to sharing their voices and their ideas. And they all had great ideas, great solutions to problems. But that bias, when they got to the table, that hurting, that ability to actually speak up and be shut down, kept them from really communicating the power of not only who they were, but the power of the brand. So it's so critical that we not only have voice, but I love that you are sharing with us the ability to have that way of surrounding ourselves with other women and knowing that when you see another woman who's trying to rise, reach out and help her. Even if you're not going in that direction, reach out because it can be isolating. And the numbers, yes, they're changing. But we want to make sure that when that woman rises to the top, she has the support of like-mindedness, that mindset that will help her succeed. And generally speaking, it usually helps pull the rest of us along. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yay. Well, I'll just let everybody know, fly on the wall kind of circumstance, went back and forth. What are we going to say? How are we going to do it? What's the... And I just said to Julia, I said, Julia, we're going to have a conversation about your book and we're going to build our relationship during that time and let everyone who's listening out there see what it means to build relationship with another woman in power, another woman who brings power, vulnerability, compassion, and the view of diversity. So it's a, it's a joy for me to be in your circle and to have you in mind. Denise, I feel the same way. And I'm so grateful for all you do and all you have done to support women and to help them find their voice and navigate challenging situations. Yes, indeed. So I'm going to release you to go back and share more of your voice with CNBC. It's wonderful. Continued success and continued success on the book. Thank you, Julia Forston. Thank you. I love it. Appreciate it. And read the notes in the back. The notes are incredible. (laughs) They're ammunition. They're ammunition for when you need it. Ammunition. Absolutely. All right. Well, bye. I hope to see you in person. We'll talk again soon. soon. Yes. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye for now. So there you are. I am thrilled by what we're doing. I'm happy that I'm able to bring you such quality experience and quality in just being able to see what it means and what it takes and the statistics around how we can and are succeeding. But it does take leverage. It takes commitment. It takes our passion. And it takes us being supported by one another to succeed and to excel and to expand and bring our world into a different place where everyone can succeed. It is possible. It is work. But if we're there for each other, I know we're going to succeed. We're going to make it happen. So that's it for this session. And I'm looking forward to the next session together with you. 
please, please, please follow us, womenexpress.com. Certainly, Women Express podcast, follow us there. Share this wonderful interview with your friends, with your family. Share it with the men in your life. You'd be surprised. I know you wouldn't be so surprised, but surprised how much they really are wanting to support us as well. And then lastly, take a look at some of the things that we are doing on womenexpresspodcast.com, our website, to see some of the upcoming programs I've been promising you. Are Some of them are still in development, one of which is the book that I'm going to be releasing in April. So look forward to that. It'll be more of the same of what you've experienced here. And it also will have some stories that I think you will love and examples of women being very, very powerful and standing in their voices and moving this world forward. There's nothing more that brings me passion than seeing women really moving this world forward, changing things, changing the mindset, bringing in gratitude, established in vulnerability, but most importantly, established in community. So please support us as we continue to support you. And thank you so much. Come on, women. It's our time. Let's express. I know. We had a great time today. What I'd like to ask you to do is to rate us. Give us good ones. Review and subscribe. And if you loved the time you spent with us and loved our speakers, our interviewees, then share this with your friends. Let's collectively women express. Thank you for being with me. Bye for now.